Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. From today's reading from 2 Corinthians, for I can testify they gave voluntarily according to their means, begging us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I recently heard a story about a man who bought a home with a bamboo stand near his driveway. He decided to get rid of it, so he cut it down, took an axe to its roots, and smashed them into little pieces. He then dug down further to rip the roots out, and he even poured plant poison over what remained. Finally, he filled the hole with gravel and paved over it with cement. But a year or so later, he noticed something curious. A little green bamboo shoot was pushing up through that cement. He had tried so hard to stamp it out, but the bamboo, it seems, was unquenchable, and it would not be killed, for it was tenacious, and its nature was to push upward, to grow, and to find expression. I believe that you and I have something like that bamboo, and the depths of our soul, and the word we've been using to describe that something is generosity. And this generosity, we've said, is our truest self, for we are made in the image of a very generous God. And though the world seeks to poison that generosity so essential to ourself, there yet remains something inside of us that is unquenchable something we can forget, neglect, or ignore, but not something that will ever be killed. This, of course, is what Paul wants the Corinthians to see in today's epistle. Now, to give you just a little background, the church at Corinth was a relatively wealthy congregation, and they had made a financial commitment to help the church in Jerusalem. But there was internal conflict in this community And as a result, the Corinthians had failed to make good on that pledge. And so one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter in the first place was to address that very specific issue and to teach the Corinthians about generosity. And oddly enough, Paul isn't stern, which is a real surprise. Because at times, Paul really could be. He doesn't shame the Corinthians for failing to give, nor does he appeal to apostolic authority. But instead, he tells a story. A story about what the churches in Macedonia are doing and the generosity he sees displayed in them. And from today's letter, here's what we know about these Macedonian Christians. They're experiencing a severe ordeal of affliction. They are extremely poor. They gave voluntarily. 
Their giving was beyond their means. And finally, we know from verse 4, they counted it as a privilege to give, not an obligation, not their duty, not their responsibility, but a privilege. And we have to ask, how is that possible for people who are struggling and poor to ask Paul if they can give beyond their means to support the mission of the church? And that's not a rhetorical question, by the way, but one I intend to answer because in studying today's passage, I see at least eight truths these Macedonian Christians knew about generosity that are worth sharing. Now, you may have noticed there is a handout today. I'm experimenting with some sermon notes. If you don't have a copy, fear not. We have extras in the narthex on sale for $100 a piece. <laughs> but these notes will be useful because they explain these eight points in a bit more depth, and they connect it to a specific verse in the passage. And so don't feel like you need to absorb everything I'm saying. And so here are the eight things that the Macedonian Christians knew about generosity First, generosity is fueled by the grace of God. Generosity is not a skill that we learn naturally, like woodworking or playing the piano. It's actually inherent to our truest self as people made in the image of God. And the grace of God is what awakens generosity inside of us and allows it to find expression. Number two, extreme joy has nothing to do with wealth. Nothing. The Macedonians knew extreme poverty and abundant joy. Number three, they knew it's a privilege to share in this ministry of giving. Giving connects us to the mission of the church and the larger community of saints. Number four, generosity begins when we give ourselves first to the Lord. We don't give ourselves first to the church or first to some kind of moral code. We give ourselves first to the living God. Number five, I think the Macedonians knew that their pastor was rooting for them. To quote Paul, as you excel in everything, I want you to excel here too. In other words, they knew their leader cared about their spiritual health and that he was cheering them on. Number six, they knew that you can't command someone to be generous. You can certainly pressure someone to give money. You can lean on them to write a check. But only a heart that knows its freedom to not be generous can choose generosity. Number seven, they knew generosity is grounded not just in who God is, but also in what Jesus has done. For you know the generous act of our Lord, Paul writes, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And then finally, number eight, they knew that there is a richness that is not connected to money. So that by Christ's poverty, Paul writes, you might become rich, meaning that these Macedonians counted themselves as being very rich in Christ. And so as you ponder those eight points, never thought I'd say that in a sermon, yeah. I want to return to that wonderful thing Paul says in verse 5 to describe the spirit of these Macedonian Christians. He writes, 
they gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I know in my own life how easy, how common, how tempting it is to give myself first to something else. Status, wealth, power, comfort, success, a particular ideology, none of which, by the way, are inherently wrong, but they do rob us of joy and they damage our relationships when we give ourselves to these things first. And so two questions I want to leave you with this week. First, what does it mean for you to give yourself to the Lord first, not to your family first or to your career first? or to the accumulation of wealth first, but to give yourself first to the Lord and to do so knowing that God will always honor that choice. And then second, what does it mean for you to make a financial commitment to this church as an expression of that desire, that desire to give yourself first to the Lord? Now, to be really clear, it is not my place to answer these questions for you. It is my job to ask them, and it's certainly my job to answer them in my own life. And so Emily and I, we're going to make our pledge for 2020, and we've already done so. We'll be increasing our giving next year, and we're doing that for two reasons. First, we really believe everything Paul says today about generosity is true. But second, we're going to give more next year because we love this church and because we love you. It is not our obligation. It's not our responsibility. It is not our duty. We count it a privilege to share in this ministry with all of you. And so as you think about your own financial commitment and what it means for you to give yourself to the Lord first, I'll wrap this sermon series up with a quick story. So about two months ago, I was sitting at our dining room table with my three-year-old daughter, Annie, and she knew I had a birthday coming up. And so she said, Daddy, I want to get you a gift for your birthday. Um, and so she said, for your birthday, do you want a bouncy house? And I said, no, I don't want a bouncy house. Okay, said Annie, do you want a princess dress? <laughs> and I said, no, sweetheart, that's not what I want. Daddy, she said, do you want candy? And I said, no, I don't think I want candy for my birthday. And so Emily was sitting next to us and said, now, Annie, you're thinking in terms of what you want the most, but to give Dad a great gift, you have to think about what it is that he wants the most. And so Annie got really serious and silent, and after about 15 seconds, she looked at me with a lot of tenderness, and she grabbed my hand, and she looked me in the eye, and she spoke with so much earnestness. Daddy, she said, for your birthday, do you want a beer? <laughs> Which I never got, by the way. <laughs> so there's really only one question. There's one question these past four weeks have been about. The only question we've been asking is, what is the gift that God wants the most? Because it is not our money. It is our heart, 
It is our life, it is our trust, it is our commitment, so that we can remember and reclaim who we truly are. Because as hard as the world may try to get rid of our truest and deepest self, to take an axe to its root and smash it to pieces, to poison it with false promises and to pave over it by stoking our desire for more. I want you to pay attention because in the depth of your heart there lives something that is unquenchable, something true, something we can forget, neglect, and ignore, but something that will not go away simply because it cannot be killed. And that generosity within you is alive. It is green. It is tenacious. It's always pushing upward, wanting to grow and to find expression, all to bear witness to the generous God in whose image we are all so wonderfully made. Amen. Amen.